Five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Bazinga. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston, and I'm joined today by a horror correspondent, the most miserable man in the world, the dastardly scouser himself, Brandon. Hello. How are we, everyone? How does it feel to be back here, man? It's been a, it's been a few weeks. Yeah, it's been a few long. weeks. It feels um, pretty good. A little bit strange not having a, another co-host here. Yeah, Taking yeah. on additional uh, duties. I hope I'm getting paid more for this. Yeah, of course. Well, you know, we'll have to uh, get that through to you. Um, Lewis is uh, not here today because we're talking about horror films and he is a little scared young boy. So we are talking about The Forever Purge. And we are talking Yay. about the Fear Street trilogy. Uh, that's Fear Street 1994, 1978, and 1666, uh, which are both kind of horror horror projects. That the Purge being the Forever Purge being the fifth sequel or the fifth addition to the Purge franchise, and Fear Street being a new Netflix uh, original project that dropped weekly over the last three weeks. As well as that, we'll also be looking at the newest MCU. Uh, Disney Plus TV show Loki, which uh, the finale wrapped up on last Wednesday. So we're going to be talking about our thoughts on the series as a whole, our thoughts on the ending, and etc. etc. So we'll be going through those as our big main three. Now, um, how are you doing today, Brandon? Tell me something about yourself. Tell me something about your week that's not film related. How, give me some insight to, to the life of Brandon Beer. Uh, I've, I've I've been in work a lot. That's that's about. No. There's not a lot to report. To be, I've been to the I've been to the cinema quite a bit. I've got me limitless card. I don't I don't I haven't been leading the most exciting life. Um, th- right. this week in particular, to be honest, mm. I'm disappointed. Sure. I haven't got more to say. You couldn't have asked yeah. me a worse question. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, and and I'm doing fine as well. I just moved. Oh back no! Home. Yeah, no. Um, how are you, Sam? I'm fine, thanks. Oh, I just moved that home. Yeah, that's um, great. And that's I will great. use that. Um, by the way, I, I'm recording in my kitchen because my bedroom is going to be worked on, uh, which means that there might be an echo uh, a little bit on my mic. You might hear a bit of reverb uh, that you won't usually hear. And I can only apologise for that. And hopefully that will be over by the next time we have the podcast. Now, um, there's a lot happening in, in film this week, of course. Uh, it's been The main thing is it's been can. Um, and, you know, I'd love to report on how good Annette is. I'd love to, uh, you know, report on uh, Spike Lee fucking up the palm door. But I haven't seen, um, it was, uh, was it called uh, Titian? Um, the, the the most recent winner of, yeah, Titian, that, that won, the, uh, won the, the palm door. Uh, I was going to say the palm door then. Uh, palm door the other week. Um, but unfortunately, we don't get invited there. We're not uh, at that level yet. So unfortunately, we don't have any insight there. Um, but of course, of any films that are kind of notable at Cannes um, get released, you know, such as The French Dispatch or, or Titian itself or Annette, when they get released, of course, we'll be talking about them whenever they get the UK release on the podcast. Um, some some sad news that came out since the last podcast, um, which was, I think it came out after the last podcast, but, you know, since we last recorded one, which was that the great director Richard Donner died who's best known for directing The Omen, um, Superman, uh, the, the original 70s Superman, and the um, uh, uh, Lethal Weapon um, film series. Of, he's kind of working on the, the fifth one, his kind of final project, um, very recently. Uh, unfortunately, he passed before he could finish that. Um, 
But that ties in quite well um, because I believe you watched Superman in the cinema this week. Uh, I did, yeah. Uh, last Thursday, I got to see a screening in the cinema. So it was, I'm assuming that I'm assuming that it, yeah, was it was for the uh, for Richard Donner in honor of, uh, yes, of, of the great Richard Donner. So um, yeah, that was good fun. I'm glad I got to see. It. I hadn't. I I think I'd seen it when I was a child. I didn't remember it that well, but it was um, a lot of fun. Good, good campy, you know, seventies original superhero film fun. So I'm glad I got to experience that. Okay, well we'll use that to tie in. Um, so that that's one thing. Uh, I, ha- I haven't seen actually the original Superman. I've well, kind of, it's been on telly, but I've never really actually put the the work in to really watch it. Um, but of course, you know, yeah. with him passing and and also the recent Donner cut being released of the second film because he was working on the second Superman and then it got replaced by Richard Lester. So there's a mm-hmm. kind of Snyder style cut of his film uh, that, that's been released. You know, within the last, uh, you know, I think maybe late 2000s maybe came out. So I'll have to get around to watching those two at some point, you know, after he passed. Yeah. Um, but we'll tie that into to what you've been watching. So other than Superman, what else have you watched in the last kind of week or so? Uh, well, I, mean, I mentioned earlier, I finally got my limitless card, so I sort of went wild a bit at the, at the movies mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time, you know, after coronavirus and everything. So I sort of quite a place part two a few weeks ago. Um, F9 I went to see. Uh, I got to see a screening of Trainspotting as well, which is one of my favourite films ever, which is really good. I've just got uh, another month of Britbox for the first time in a long time, because I'm craving some 70s Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, so, And I noticed that Trainspotting is on that, so I might have to give Trainspotting my first watch. I would highly soon. recommend it. Um, mm. Yeah, but uh, other than that, I watched Spider-Man 2 just at home. I watched The Strangers from 2008, which apparently has some kind of cult reputation, but I did not really see the appeal. I watched 2014's Creep, which I actually enjoyed quite a bit on uh, Netflix. Um, I watched Fever Pitch and uh, The Damned United for the football podcast I didn't make it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Widow, and uh, other than that, uh, just the, the things we're going to be discussing today. Yeah, a lot of stuff that we talked about, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, like Black Widow and F9 and, and such. Um, yeah, uh, for myself, I actually, I, I watched all of the, the films of the football podcast, um, you know, the, the kind of week, the latter half of the week before we recorded it. And the Saturday and Sunday, um, you know, and then Sunday was the football. And I kind of went into a, a kind of small ball and didn't leave my flat for about four days in just misery. Um, so I didn't watch <laughs> um, any films for a few days after that. But um, so I've only watched a few things over the last few days, um, you know, other things we're recording. Um, first one is The Purge. Um, so, of course, we're talking about The Forever Purge. That's the fifth installment. Um, but I watched the original Purge because I'd never seen it. I hadn't seen any of the franchise. I'm aware of the the kind of overall uh, aware of the difference between the films I'm aware of the general plot the, uh, the thesis behind it but I'd never really given it too much uh, attention but I really uh, you know want to get for a few of them unfortunately I could only get through the first one and the last one but The Purge uh, the original Purge I will say I'll talk a little bit about my thoughts on it when we go to kind of talking about the, the Forever Purge later but I will say that um, I was a little bit disappointed um, you know it's been a long time since you said you saw it I think you saw it yeah. years ago yeah um, I, I will say that I was a bit disappointed um, about the, you know, I, I understand that I think we can all appreciate that it's a really good concept, uh, the idea of this mm-hmm. 12 hours yeah. of, of, you know, you can do anything you like. Um, but I think uh, the decisions perhaps around the fact that it's all set within a house, you know, we've got this big concept and you decided to set the first film, the major kind of 
And it really did capture the zeitgeist because I remember everyone talking about it at the time. Yeah. And the decision to put it just in one house with one rich family, I felt like you missed on so much an opportunity to explore the wider world, especially when you had, you know, actors like Ethan Hawke and, and Lena Headey um, as kind of your main two. You know, those are proper, you know, best of the best. You know, Ethan Hawke is, you know, one of the, the best actors in the world. To have those, you know, at your disposal and to only kind of touch on the surface there is a clear kind of political allegory behind the concept of the purge and it really, really avoids that. You know, you can tell where it's coming from from a political standpoint, but then the film doesn't touch on that any further than surface level. So I would say that I was a bit disappointed by the purge. And I'll get to my thoughts on the forever purge later. Um, But yeah, the other thing I watched um, is Space Jam, A New Legacy, uh, which is the second instalment. And, you know, the first one came out in the 90s. It's a new one. The first one was Michael Jordan. This is LeBron. Uh, now, I can't go into that much detail because we're not reviewing it. JL is returning to the podcast midweek to team up with Lewis uh, to review Space Jam and uh, some other films. Um, so they'll give a proper review. But I'll say, and I probably don't think either of them will say this as much to do, but I've heard people say that Space Jam, the new Space Jam was you know, the worst film ever and an insult to the original and... You know, LeBron's acting is awful and it's a dreadful film and, you know, this is not good for kids, it's not good for adults, this is dreadful. It's got an awful critic score on on Rotten Tomatoes. I fucking loved it. I absolutely loved Space Jam 2. Every second of it, it was so fun. I think you can go into this film and choose to pick it apart and be overcritical and... Or you can just be there and just have childish fun. Okay, LeBron's acting, he clearly isn't an actual actor. But I think for a non-actor, he does a decent job dealing with so much material. I actually think he does a a passable job. You know, it's not much better than that, but definitely I'd say it was passable. Uh, You know, you could be over-cynical and, you know, know, I understand the real-life reasoning behind Warner Others throwing in all their properties. And you could be super miserable and say, oh, you know, it's it's shameless or whatever. But if you just take it as, oh, look at that film, oh, look at that film. And it has references to kind of films that you wouldn't think they do. There's a whole section of the film dedicated to Mad Max Fury Road. And there's another reference to Casablanca and the Clockwork uh, Clockwork Orange and, you know, The Matrix. and, And it's got real actual basketball jokes and... I just loved it. I think it was just so much fun. I said, you know, it's up there with Corella for the most fun film of the year for me. And it's going to get all this hate from people being over, you know, nerdy about it. But I think really it's just the best laugh you can have. I watched it with two friends, all both of them big basketball fans. We were cheering and, you know, fucking <laughs> laughing our heads off and taking the piss and, you know, celebrating every dunk. And it was, it was, un- it was just such a great experience. I loved it. I really, really, really did. Uh, LeBron does dab. Um, yeah, Space Jam, man. Yeah. You're not going to hear him any. And look, okay, he got like a 30% um, <laughs> fucking rock, critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. But it's got like an 87% audience score. What really matters? Film nerds, film nerds, you know, critic, you know, it's not going to win anything at, at the Oscars. But I disagree. You know, the average man, the you and I of the world, appreciate it's just nice fun. Well, to be fair, it could get a VFX nomination. It really maybe, could. So, maybe. Perhaps. I was thinking more Best Picture. But... <laughs> best Actor. Even though, as we all know, Jordan's better. But that's neither here nor there. That is... I'm not trying to set you off. We've got we've got a job to do here. Like, let's, <laughs> let's make this a basketball podcast and I'll just talk about why LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. Alright, let's not. Because I don't know enough to argue with you. <laughs> yes, exactly. So my point is therefore more right. Okay. 
So we're going to start off today's podcast by talking about Loki. So Loki is the newest of uh, Disney Plus series uh, following uh, WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, it is six episodes long. It's directed by Kate Heron and it stops t- uh, stars uh, a kind of ensemble cast that includes the likes of Tom Hiddleston, um, Owen Wilson, uh, Sophia DiMartino as Sylvie, um, Richard E. Grant, one of the majors, you know, lo- loads of people. It's, um, yeah, so it looks at, we talked about it the first episode. This will have spoilers, by the way. This will, as, as all MCU things, of all um, Disney Plus series, this comes with spoilers. We'll try and keep off maybe some hard spoilers from series, from episode six, perhaps. Um, but we will have spoilers for the first five, certainly, and perhaps some in, series, mm-hmm. in episode six. Um but yeah, of course, if anyone's unaware, uh, Loki follows uh, the alternate timeline created during Avengers Endgame, which saw Loki escape with the Tesseract, um, and he is instantly brought to justice by a group of uh, people called the Time Variance Authority, who are desperate on it to keep alternate realities from forming and keeping everything to the right order of things in the sacred timeline. This leads Tom Hiddleston's Loki uh, on a path of, of you know betrayal and, and whether he's in and, and morality that sees him grow as a person and essentially fall in love with a female variant of himself played as uh, earlier by Sofia Di Martino, also known as Sylvie. And it, it shows their battle to try and expose the Time Variance Authority or TVA um, and you know try and protect their own lives uh, in the process. Now we talked uh, on the same on a podcast with you maybe six seven weeks ago uh-huh. about the first episode. Um, so I-, I will say, you know, I actually alluded to it a few times in the podcast. I was kind of slow in watching this. I watched the first episode when it came out. I watched the second episode maybe two three weeks later, and then I didn't watch episodes four five six uh, three four five six until this week or last week after the final had come out the finale. Yeah. Um, now I'll get into why that was in a minute, but what did you think of Loki? Have you have firstly have you seen the two other Disney Plus shows? Have you seen uh, one? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen all of them so far. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. So, what do you think of Loki? F- uh, all right. First of all, so far for me, Loki is my favorite of the of the Disney Plus uh, Marvel shows. I I really had a lot of fun with it. I, I maybe it's the character uh, Tom Hiddleston. Has obviously always been great in the role, um, or maybe it's just that uh, the the sort of world building they had to do around the the TVA and, and things like that is is genuinely interesting in, in a in a franchise that's been going for well over ten years at this point. But it just it kept me interested. I know there's some criticism of episodes like episode three and uh, even episode five, I think, for uh, for being filler or whatever. But I was just always hundred percent on board, having a, a, a blast. And, um, I, I will get. A, I just want to come in here yeah. and say there are so many times where people describe episodes of filler every time they're not in, in any show in The Walking Dead yeah. and this and every everything. People, if if it doesn't have like super important plot defining changes, it's defined like you need episodes that build characters, cre- mm-hmm. slowly create plot, add in new characters. Like I, I hate when people describe everything as filler. Yeah. 
I, uh, anyway, yeah, you mentioned the Walking Dead, the season two of that. I'd, I'd like they call people call that se- entire season filler, which is just stupid. But yeah, that happens. Yeah, but um, I no, I I, I enjoyed those episodes. I, I I really had a lot of fun with episode five. Um, yeah, you know, with the, with the uh, that's when we get most of the variants that we see of uh, of Loki, and um, episode three is when we we get to know Sylvie a lot better. So I don't really see how anyone could think they're filler, but I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because they're a little bit slower. Um, but no, I, I, had a, I had a lot of fun with it. And um, I, another way I've heard people describe it is if it, it was like um, if Doctor Who had like a good budget or something, which you could obviously chime in on a bit more because I'm not <laughs> I'm not a big Doctor Who fan like you Maybe. are. But, um, but yeah, I, I thought it was really good. I'm, and I'm, uh, I'm really excited for things going forward with, with, uh, with the MCU in general. Um, after this, yeah, I, I, yeah. I really liked it. Yeah, no, me too. Um, I said, you know, it took me ages to watch it because I, I enjoyed episode one. And I praised the where it was going. I praised the um, production design heavily. Yeah, um, me too. but I'd be lying if I said it particularly grabbed me. You know, I, mm-hmm. I kind of I enjoyed it, but it, it seemed. Like you know, it wasn't leaving me on a on a you know. It was, there was not a cliffhanger that was dragging me to the next part. I just thought of it as a kind of interesting piece of TV, but I was never particularly inspired to watch the next episode. Uh-huh. It took me a while, and I watched the second one. I didn't really. I felt the same way. I was like, okay, this is decent. I, I understand the technical ability, and I think that I'm enjoying this more than I did so the Falcon and the Soldier. But it wasn't really grabbing me. Uh, and then I watched uh, episode three a couple wasn't that last week which is when Sylvie properly becomes involved mm-hmm. um, and you know you'll start going to other planets and then then I watched three then four then five then six all kind of one night or one night and one morning and I was just hooked you know start uh, those episodes uh, when it really gets into the most sci-fi that the MCU's ever got and of course you know you could argue Guardians of the Galaxy but we're talking about different planets we're talking about sci-fi concepts like um, you know uh, the the alternate timelines and realities, variants of characters meeting each other. You know the land beyond time. You know uh, you know all these kind of different questions, both you know on a kind of t- scientific technical level and also a moral level of dealing with alternate versions of yourself. Mm-hmm. That just absolutely appealed to the sci-fi nerd in me. And yeah, I guess I, I didn't think of it, but I guess this is the most Doctor Who that. Uh, Loki, sorry, the Loki. This is the most Doctor Who that, that Marvel has, has ever got, and I guess that can only be a good thing for someone that's a Doctor Who fan like I am. But um, I, I loved the the alternate reality stuff. I loved the little jokes and the little um, kind of comic references. You know, the the fact that Richley Grant's character is dressed like the '60s Loki. <laughs> the fact that you see President Loki, uh, you see Kid Loki. You know, all of these characters who are very, you know common you know everyone knows about if you if you read comics especially you know thor comics um there's the thanos copter you know there's so many little comic references along with you know the the most kind of wide you know intergalactic you know dimensional feel that the mcu ever gets and much like you know what made stayed the same from the first episode of the sky was excellent production design for out um and probably the best score you know up there it's probably yeah. the best score or the second best score with Black Panther that the MCU has ever seen of course done by the woman that egged Simon Cow that one time um, <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's yeah I mean it's got massive universal implications in the terms of the MCU uh-huh. and you know Kevin Feige kind of 
And also the whole Marvel kind of had this whole thing of like, oh yeah, the, the, the shows are important, but you don't have to watch them, but they're important, so watch them, but you don't have to. Like, you have to watch Loki to understand an awful lot of what's going to come next in Marvel, I think. I've got anything on the next Thor film, and the next Ant-Man film, and a lot of the kind of wider universal... Doctor Strange. And the next Spider-Man yeah. film. Yeah, Doctor Strange, they're all going to be related in two events that happen here. Yeah. And we get some really, really good characters as well. We get some really, really well-built, well-acted you know, characters, I think you see how, and I discussed about in Black Widow how, I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I feel like the, Mar- the Marvel have struggled to present supporting characters throughout their series. I always feel like they're so good at dealing with the lead, yeah. but you never really truly care about the second and third character. You never really care that much about Pepper. You never really yeah. care that much about, you know, whoever's, you know, in... The Ant-Man series, you know, yeah. his mate, you know. Like, I feel like we, Black Widow, you did. And that was well well done mm-hmm. with them. And I think that was just because of how dialogue focused it was. But I think when you, you get a series like this, you get to really, you get six episodes. You get to really, f- you know, feel out those exterior characters. That you don't need to focus on Loki for the whole thing because you've got six whole episodes to deal with him. And that's why we see characters that are as good as a Sylvie, of course, but also... Uh, Gugu and Batha Raw, who who plays Ravona Rensler, she she was in Doctor Who, by the way, she was Martha's sister. Um, but she, her character and um, Owen Wilson's character of Mobius, Mobius, um, and you know all these different you know characters. Uh, Wami Masaku's character, uh, Hunter B fifteen. Um, of course, we praised her widely on the podcast for for her role in, in his house. Um, Richly Grant, you know, there is so many strong characters that you just don't would wouldn't get in in a 90 minute or you know two hour film mm-hmm. that's one of the big positives that you get with this Disney Plus format yeah no absolutely yeah. the the, uh, the the widest supporting cast is, is is really strong I particularly enjoyed Mobius played by Owen Wilson I, I think that mm. bed is dynamic with Loki and more, more so in, in the earlier episodes was um was was really yeah, good. yeah. really really had a lot of fun with that and I, I do agree with you what what you were saying about the support and cast of most Marvel things. I think there's exceptions, like I think Thor Ragnarok would be an exception. I think Yeah, no, I'd agree. I, I'd I agree. think for me the Winter Soldier's an exception. I quite like Sam Wilson in that. And I don't know if I'd count Black Widow because she's she was obviously a character um that people, you know, knew about and cared about before Winter Soldier, but I enjoy her in that. But this is definitely the strongest I've ever felt to a wider support and cast even even little characters have got something about them like uh, miss minutes played by tara uh, tara strong yeah there's a there's a lot of intrigue there and a lot of interest and and i i, I do care about that character despite how, how li- little time we we get to spend with them and um it's even stronger for the characters we get to spend more time in, you know, with like Sylvie and Mobius, as I mentioned. I like Loki a lot more than I ever have in the MCU. I always enjoyed him when he turned up mainly in Thor films, especially Ragnarok. I enjoyed him quite a lot. Um, post-villain, you know, in the Avengers and things. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it just, it just, I think it just did a really good job with all the characters, in a, in a, I think. And, uh, I think that the, it's done a lot for... The, the Disney Plus format. Yeah. Because, you know, you think... I don't think anyone particularly had that much of a strong link to, to Wanda Maximoff or mm-hmm. to Vision yeah. or... I personally, and a lot of people did, but I never liked Bucky. I could never stand Bucky. Ah. So, but now, after getting through these, I have a lot more adoration for mm-hmm. Loki. I have a lot more adoration for Wanda and for Vision. Uh, and I have can say that I now consider myself to be liking... 
um, Bucky. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that you know having this time with these people and getting these really personal stories out, I think is a really strong decision for Marvel in general, a kind of stylistic change um, that's you know a little bit less guns blazing um, and a little bit more kind of talky. Yeah. Um, I think like, long may it continue. I really do enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say that one thing. I don't know if you'd agree, and I actually don't think anyone who I've talked to has agreed with me on this. One issue I did have with Loki. Where I was, and I don't know if this is to do with the fact it's a Disney Plus show, and it's not got box office, you know, like mm. you know the billions that the Avengers brings in. Yeah. But I thought the CG was a little bit poor. I don't know if you ever agree, but I thought the CG a few times. I thought that's not really Marvel level. A lot of the mm. stuff to do with you know he who remains his palace towards the end, and the timekeepers when they were shown earlier. Yeah. I just and, and a lot of the planet. I didn't really think that the CG was at the same level as a lot of the MCU. Did you um, agree? It wasn't... Maybe a little bit, but it, it was. It, it didn't stand out so much that it took me out of it. I see... I, I understand why you would think that about the, the timekeepers, but I think that was done on purpose because of the reveal. Yeah. Uh, so they yeah, look maybe. a little bit shoddy and then it's revealed yeah. and you're like, oh, okay, that's why. But... Um, yeah. It, what, it Maybe it wasn't perfect, but I think it was, it was serviceable. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's a big thumbs up for me, really. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you said about um, you preferred um, this is your favourite of yeah, the, the yeah. three. Um, I love uh, Loki as much as almost anyone did. However, I still have it second mm-hmm. because I liked WandaVision more than most people did. Yeah. So I think that I probably like Loki as much as you do. It's just that yeah. I think that WandaVision was, was really good. I, so it, Yeah, WandaVision would be my second favourite. I just think towards the end it sort of dropped the ball, whereas... Yeah, I, the last episode yeah, isn't great. I was more and more invested in Loki as it, as it went on, where I got, and I can't say that for WandaVision, but, you know, mm. it's down to, that, that, down to preference at the end of the day. I can't be good Sure, to, sure, yeah, yeah. I can't be good no, to yeah. that at all. Because for me, I have a rank list on my letterbox, Sam Houston, by the way, um, yeah. of all of the MCU, and I have... Loki as the fifth best Marvel thing ever, I think. Yeah. And I have um, WandaVision as the fourth. So they're both, you know, out of like 26. It might be fifth and fourth and fifth, but mm-hmm. whatever. They're next to each other up the top. Um, so, you know, out of like 26 films or whatever, it's like they're both in the best of Marvel for me. Yeah. Um, I just really, you know, appreciate getting the time with these characters getting such great performance out there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, big, 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 big props to Richard E. Grant, who absolutely stole the show in yeah. episode five. You know, I think that, you know, if, that's one of the things I was the most kind of step back and thought, well, that is good. I need to mention the mm-hmm. podcast because of just how good I thought that yeah. Richard E. Grant was in very little time. He was, uh, so. Yeah, he was he was really good in, in, the, in the little time he had. However, not my... Favorite variant, I would have to give that to Alligator Loki. I enjoyed him just. Yes, of I enjoyed course. him just being a little little guy, just you know, swanning about in his horn helmet, getting really angry at a uh, what boastful Loki. I thought he was, thought he was marvelous. Great performance by com- that CG puppet. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So very good stuff around all around. Okay, so what would you give Loki as a rating out of ten? Hmm. Ooh, all right. At least I've got it at a three and a half on Letterboxd. So that'd be around a seven. But I don't know. I mean, I'm starting to think that's a little bit harsh. The more I sit on it, yeah. The way you yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, d- I tend not to go overboard with the MCU stuff. I I don't have anything higher than four stars. 
my favorite MCU thing, film is only four stars. That's that's just me. You know, I'm very hard to please generally in life. So, but I think a seven and a half, maybe or an eight, because I okay. I, I I really sure. did have, have a lot of fun with it. So maybe I just need to be less miserable. But um, what would you mm. what would you have given it? Well, I'll give it an eight myself. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I think uh, I think I gave One Division a nine. Uh, maybe mm. maybe up to an eight and a half for Loki. Um, yeah, you know, I think that you know, I probably there's probably very little things that I would give over that yeah. in the MCU, and I would I would give Black Panther that. I'd give Ragnarok probably above that, mm-hmm. um, and maybe maybe Infinity War. Um, yeah. But uh, again, nothing else probably higher. So I think that's a very much a standout achievement. Now, one sad thing that has come with this news is that. At the end of the series, you get a reveal. Uh, there's a little visual reveal. James Bond star view. Loki will return in series two. I don't know if you saw that. Did you I see did. It? Like I the did art, see the that. Yeah. yeah. I was going to mention that Before earlier, but I didn't know if we were the... going there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's not that much of a spoiler. But um, unfortunately, Kate Heron, who excellently directed the series, will not be returning for the second series. It's a shame. What? Um, I didn't yeah, know this. She. Yeah, she said that she's going on to different projects, and I think she had problems with some of the writers. Um, mm-hmm. some of the, the vision of the writer so unfortunately Kate Heron who excellently directed the series um, will not be returning mm-hmm. and I thought I'd just remind you of her existence before we talk about our man of the match now Loki of course is a hard one because you've got yeah. Tom Hiddleston being so good so many great supporting performances excellent directing excellent score excellent writing uh, and, and great production designs we've talked about so it's a lot of people that you could give this man of the match award to but who are you leaning towards? Ah. Uh... You know, it might be the boring choice, but I'd, I'm really tempted to lean in towards Tom Hiddleston just just because he's so good in the role and, and always has been. I I I've, but there's there are so many people deserving of it, but he brings it all together for me and and is really the the, the centerpiece of of it all. So maybe I think Tom Hiddleston for me. Who would you give it to? Now, I think for me, I appreciate an awful lot of of the. I think this is obviously a mixture of the DP and the director and the production design, but the way the series looked, the way that it was constructed, the way that we pulled through these these stories, I think, um, uh, even though it's obviously a great script, because of the confusing nature of some of it and the way that it's structured in a rather kind of un-MCU way, a lot of worse directors wouldn't have been able to pull this up as as highly as Kate Heron did. So for me, my man of the match goes to Kate Heron for directing this because it is an excellently looking and excellently uh, structured piece of of, of television. Yeah, absolutely fair enough. And one thing I'd like to add, um, I just checked for this, production designer for Loki, uh, Kasara Farahani, hope I'm saying that right, also production designer on Bliss, a film that we talked about on the podcast oh, a few really? months so ago. F- yeah, yeah, a, con- uh, a contributor of Owen Wilson's. Which I did not enjoy, if you would like to go back and listen to that episode at all. Yes, I believe we did that with JL, didn't he? And he liked that film a lot. Yep. And my mum is a big fan of that film. She talks about it quite a lot, actually. Fair, um, fair enough. But uh, I can't say I... I thought it was, it was a good idea, but it wasn't excellent. I think that um, was the consensus, but I just... I really did not like watching it as much as anyone else that I was the biggest hater by far, which shouldn't really be a surprise. Yeah, I think we kind of had some kind of general agreement, but then like, yeah. we were each side of like... It was the, the degree was, like, very, to which we were disappointed. Or, yeah, I was like pretty neutral, and yeah. then you were anti, and then JL was positive. But we're not reviewing Bliss, are we? We're reviewing... But we should Forever... <laughs> again every um, episode the <laughs> bliss cast bliss. 
We're doing a, an Owen Wilson only podcast. We have to have Owen Wilson every episode. That'd be a good episode. This week we're doing, yeah. Um, well, I meant we have to do an Owen Wilson on every episode from now on. That's what I meant. Oh, I thought you were just meant we should have an Owen Wilson special. Either way, I'm all, I'm all aboard for some Owen Wilson. Get Molly and me yeah. on, the, on the podcast. Every, Get Zoolander in there. Any day of the week. I'm pro this. All right. Zoolander. Let's not do Zoolander sequel, though. Let's do Zoolander uh, sequel and Bliss <laughs> every episode forever. This is um, the podcast from Not Museum 3. Yeah, the best um, movie ever. Yes. Unanimously. Okay. Star- starring Oscar winner. Um, what's his name? Ben Stiller. Not what's his name. The boat from Mr. Robot. Rami Malek. Rami Malek. It's doing Oscar winner Rami Malek. Okay, we are now going to stop rambling about shite, and we are going to talk about The Forever Purge. Now, as we previously alluded to, The Forever Purge is the fifth instalment in the Purge series. Uh, As far as I know, each of the Purge films are about different scenarios and different characters within a universe in which, one day a year, for 12 hours... You can commit any crime you like across America. You can murder anyone. You can, you know, steal anything. You can do anything you like for 12 hours and there's no repercussions. There's no fire services, no police services, no ambulances. Sounds like you have to deal with bloody it. normal America for a white man. Am I right? Politics. <laughs> Satire. Sounds like Merseyside, eh? Oh, just cut it out, mate. Now, uh, The Forever Purge is the... Uh, this film looks at... A world where a bunch of uh, a fringe um, kind of racist group decides that once the purge ends, uh, you know, at 7am on the certain, on the day when the purge ends, uh, they are not going to listen to the government. They're going to keep on purging until uh, they can kill all of the immigrants and people they deem not right for yes, America as yes. they try and purge uh, the kind of rest of the nation. Now, of course, uh, I described my feelings on the earlier purge, uh-huh. uh, the first purge, earlier, and I was disappointed. Uh-huh. And uh, I came to this film with particularly low expectations. Um, and oh, before I go into my review, actually, I will quickly say that it's directed by Everardo Gout, who I believe is a Mexican director who hasn't directed that much, only directed a few films. Uh, ever um, and it stars the likes of Josh Lucas and uh, the main character is uh, Ana de, de la Reguera um, and kind of the main male lead is Tena Huerta and it also stars Will Patton who uh, played Paul in Minari earlier this year um, as, as kind of the uh, owner of a kind of business that they were working for now so the film follows two uh, kind of Mexican characters who mm-hmm. had uh, previously uh, come across the US border in search of a better life and kind of their journeys trying to kind of protect themselves against these kind of wave of racists. Now, as I said, I came to this film with particularly low expectations um, because I didn't particularly enjoy The Purge. I hadn't heard particularly good things about this. Um, and I thought, you know, the whole idea of The Purge is like, you've got 12 hours where you can not commit a crime. So mm-hmm. kind of... What's the point of a forever purge? That's literally just like no law. Like that's that's what's the entertainment like? That, that takes away the whole concept. Yeah. And I've got to say, I was extremely pleasantly surprised by a film which really 
as I said, this is a very political film. This is mm. clearly a political film. There's no, you know, as I said, there is a political allegory behind the concept of the purge in general. Um, but they didn't, they didn't uh, step into it in the original. They kind of avoided the subject. In the Forever Purge, however, they really embrace it. Um, the film really steps into the political. And from minute one, there is within the opening. Um, title sequence there is images of a border wall of course so it's obviously not particularly you know it's not hiding anything it's very you know obviously a, a critique of you know um you know racists in america and and kind of people that um you know consider you know non-us born people like uh, non-american and you know a lot of the kind of wave of anti-immigration that came about in the last you know five or six years particularly in america of course it's always been a problem but, you know, that's particularly fun. Um, and this film really steps into it and, and handles those um, subjects to a better or worse degree, depending on the situation. Sometimes you feel like it isn't necessarily dealt with enough. There are characters in this film who are clearly shown as prejudiced that don't particularly get comeuppance. But I admired the fact that, unlike the last film, it, it, the first film, it mm-hmm. wasn't afraid to comment on those issues. Um, I felt like the wider kind of... Um, look at the world of the purge that we didn't get in the first film the, the concept of looking about and and seeing this kind of how it's affected the whole world i'm assuming happens in the rest of the purge films but i think was very strong and particularly interesting seeing how you know the, you know situation where even the police and the army are trying to fight against these outlaws um i felt like you know we actually did i actually did uh, get a bit of a, an affiliate towards some of the characters i thought they were you know some of them were decently developed. I thought Will Patton's character, you know, did kind of project what he was supposed to. Now, the big problem with this film does come with the two major things that you maybe think like, okay, these are two of the biggest things in film, but the two of the problems that come from the acting is not always there. I think that there is some performances here that really let the place down, especially um, from kind of Josh Lucas, who's kind of, um, one of the people that kind of gets them through is kind of the, the American cowboy who kind of has a prejudice about against Mexicans who kind of helps them when they save his life. He His acting is really not up to the level required for a blockbuster, really. And I think a lot of kind of supporting characters in this film really didn't feel like uh, they were kind of at the level of what they should have been. And I thought that some of the writing was kind of particularly sloppy and it was very basically written. It was kind of you know, some of the dialogue was kind of painfully on the nose. Um, however, you know, whilst those obvious, those flaws sound massive, in reality, I think that the kind of the scope of this situation and the kind of general narrative of it uh, made it an enjoyable watch. I didn't find myself getting bored at any point. Uh, of course, you know, if you're super, I think some of the action, if you're super into that, you know, it still gives you a lot of that fight. There's an awful lot of fighting in this film. But I think it asks some interesting questions. And I think it deals with them quite well. And I, as I said, I don't think it's the world's best film and a lot of those neg- those neg- two big negatives I just said really hold it back from, from being a great film it's just above average perhaps but having the, you know, the thoughts I had going into the film having zero hope that it would be any good and not liking the first Purge I would say that yeah I, I think the Forever Purge was a, was a surprise to me right um, <laughs> that does surprise me first of all I would like to say some people might be thinking, well, if you've only seen the first one and this one, why are you reviewing it if you haven't seen the rest of the films? But I actually think it's the bravest thing that two people have ever done. <laughs> um, but I, They're uh, all separate stories. Yeah, it, it yeah. Doesn't particularly it's an anthology. Each one is, I, 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 yeah, I mean, I exactly. think, I, I wouldn't know if it wasn't. 
because I haven't seen the other ones. But but yeah, still, yeah, don't share it. <laughs> but still, yeah, I um I have to say I I did not enjoy it as much as you did. Um, I didn't hate it. I didn't completely hate it. I think it's completely serviceable if you don't want to think about it. Um, it felt to me like someone watched the, the the Childish Gambino This Is America video and then wrote a film. <laughs> um, so um, the first page was was a uh, not not the first page the film in the franchise the the first movie yeah. the um, that was a uh, sort of more horror focused whereas this is I guess would be more action focused. Yeah, I would go. I would but say um, I did not find the action particularly compelling. I didn't. I didn't really attach myself to any of the characters. I didn't hate the character. Oh, I hated some of the characters. Like I really didn't like Josh Lucas's character, regardless of the performance. Um, Dylan Tucker. I really didn't like that because of um, you mentioned about him being prejudiced. It was sort of like a redemption arc for him. But like, I don't really care for that. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, all right. I didn't really feel like he ever. It, it it kind of was like I hate Mexicans, yeah. and then he never really set, showed why he changed his mind. He never really said yeah. that he didn't hate Mexicans. He just sort he never of, had to face yeah. any negative thing either. It just felt like he just kind of hated Mexicans, and then just life went on. Yeah, and he, he I don't know that, that was a bit of a strange yeah. decision. I feel. Are we going to get into to spoilers for this? Because I don't know if I want to mention specifics if it's if it's too much. Yeah, try not to. Yeah, try not right. to. I don't, I don't well, I guess there there is one situation where. It seems that his character's changed based on a decision that he makes, but I'm not really sure what the catalyst for that was. Um, right. But I just i I didn't really care for for the for the character after that. I didn't. I I was not going to be on his side, you know. <laughs> after after the, the way he was sure. introduced to us. Um. But I I, th- I think if if you don't want to think about. Some specifics that I'll, I'll maybe get into if we're, if we're going to be uh, doing spo- a spoiler section for this, then um, it'd be it'd be a good a good watch maybe um, maybe just a fun thing to have on in the background or something. I watched it on my own. I think maybe if I watched it with some people, then it'd be whatever. But um, if I if I was going to pick it apart, I, I I probably I probably could do that. Um, but as as I said, I didn't I did not hate it. I I rem- I watched the, fir- the 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 original Purge movie quite a while ago and I remember it being okay I think if I rewatched it I would probably not enjoy it as as much as I seem to remember to because I've developed critical thinking skills since then but um yeah it's not it's 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 not it's not the best movie ever made and that those are my <laughs> thoughts <laughs> right okay <laughs> should we just do this every single film we do like you just at the end you finish off by going yeah it's not the best film ever made it was just every unless single it film. is the best film ever made what is the best film ever made um the light-hearted romantic comedy starring ryan reynolds definitely maybe right okay um yeah, I think within the universe this kind of doesn't make sense because I'm pretty sure it's basically completely far, like contradicts the events of election year, which I think the purge stops, and then this film just begins with them going the purge is back. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So it kind of like I, I, it kind of pisses on that legacy. I guess. I guess it it would have stood out to me more if I had seen that film again. I'm being extremely brave and reviewing this irregardless, so I think I deserve a pat on the back. Now, um, this is originally was supposed to be the sequel, the, the, the last film. 
Oh. Uh, like this was the, this was the end, but they've decided now that this will not be the end of the, the Purge uh-huh. series, and they're actually going to keep it on for a few more. Oh no! So <laughs> I think I think there is something in there. I think yep. if you just keep throwing up things, one will really stick yep. because I think it's such a good concept yeah. at heart. I mean, who knows? Maybe one of the other films is is the best film ever made. We. We really wouldn't. Uh, I have. Wouldn't know. I have heard people say that the Purge TV series, which uh, I don't know if you're even aware. I didn't existed. know it had one. No. Yeah, it, it, it did. I think. Uh, but I've heard. Yeah. I've heard a few people say that that was the best thing the Purge has ever done. I th- um, yeah, I, I, I think it, so. the, the the concept could be better fleshed out. Maybe the world at least could be better fleshed out in a TV series, especially if it's following the same set of characters rather than anthology stories like the the, the movies seem to be. Um, it's just something to get invested in, really, because I, I, I didn't particularly care for the characters in this, and the the film, in the original one, just being set around um, a, a rich family with the best security system in the world, just leaving all the poor people outside. Uh, thinking about it, quite hard to root for that for that protagonist. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that it's definitely a world that you could do something really, really cool and really interesting with. Because I think we'll agree that it, I think it's a, it is a really good idea. Like it's yeah. a really cool yeah, concept. Yeah, Ab- yeah really absolutely. Is. There's a there's a lot that could be done with it, but I in the in a, in the movies I've seen, I just don't think they've done enough or what they should have been doing, which which is unfortunate. But if they're making more movies, maybe maybe something will will hit the uh, hit the sweet spot. I don't I don't know. The proverbial fan. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so uh, what would you give this rating out of 10? I'll start off. I am going to give it... Now, I get a very positive view, but as I said, it kind of, I kind of summed up my, my negatives in kind of two lines about how the, the acting and the, screen, which, the screenplay were poor, which really do hold it back from being kind of great. Oh. So I'm going to give it a 6.5, you know, between 6 and a 6.5 and out of 10. Are we, are we not doing spoilers for this? Uh, do you feel? Them, do you think we need to? Uh, I've got some things I can mention. I took notes for. Okay, okay. Before we go, okay. So I'll backtrack on that. Um, but uh, we'll just uh, okay. We'll just uh, if you want to avoid spoilers for for the Forever Purge, um, you know, I'll leave a link in the description for like when we stop talking about it and when we start. So we're starting forty forty six minutes in. Now, um, what, what were your spoiler, particularly spoiler th- uh, thoughts? All right. you wanted to add the um, the situation I mentioned earlier is. When um, they get sort of held up in a in a, um, a an alley by the by one of the leaders, I guess, of the Forever yeah. Purges. I don't think that group has actually given a name beyond that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, just and vague neo Nazis. And he says, um, "Kill the kill the Mexican people." And he says it in a less nice way than that. And uh, and you can live. And Josh Lucas' character says, "Like fuck you" or something. And I don't. I really thought this was going to be like a moment where he betrayed them, and it was going to lead to some conflict. But it just—he just didn't. And I'm not sure when he changed his mind. But, but fair, fair enough, I, I guess. There's also um, initially there's there's a guy who works on the ranch with them at the, at the start of the film called Kirk, and and he says um, they get they get a they get a page bonus. They get bonus money to protect themselves in the purge, and he's like, "I'm not using my money for protection." And then, he, and then, um, guys attack Dylan Tucker's ranch, 
And immediate, I don't know if this was supposed to be like, it, I guess it wasn't set up to be a big reveal, but I immediately, I immediately connected the dots that it was, that it was Kirk. Um, I don't know if you, it, I'm guessing you did as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing about that was his, him and his small gang didn't seem to share the same sentiments or, or uh, motivation as the, as the larger Forever Page group. Because the larger point. The, the larger group seemed to be focused on eradicating uh, foreigners and and minorities and things and just basically being Nazis, whereas Kirk was more focused on uh, inequality and the rich uh, getting rich. Kirk was just like an extremist communist, <laughs> I guess. Um, his right. motivation was more about taking down rich people. Um, so I, I don't really. I, I guess different people would be in it for different things, but it just. It, no one, yeah, no I, one else yeah. ever mentioned the yeah. rich people throughout. It was all about yeah. race and and um, xenophobia and things, which I thought was yeah, you know, I guess I'm, I'm I guess I guess it's a nitpick, but I, I noticed it. Yeah, I guess what you mean. I think there, there, there yeah. is a both of those concepts are good enough to make a film out of both yeah. of these concepts work, and it's just strange that they've mixed them both up there. Yeah, that is a good point actually. I, it's because um, um, he yeah he could have gone for the fact that he because if they weren't to go fully down that route, they could have said like you know he's going to kill him because they've been employing you know immigrants yeah you know without documentation or something they could be like yeah you know you've been giving those people a job like, that, that could have been the vibe yeah but, but um, he, he really yeah. seemed to be on their side when he was like um they're using us as slave labor so he was he was act he was sort of acting in service of them in a way i got in a roundabout way you know it wasn't wasn't what they wanted but um yeah i think that makes i mean from my perspective being a um loony lefty the um it, it makes it makes the the purges a lot more sympathetic, the fact that they've been abused by a system so badly that they feel the need to revolt rather than you know just just white supremacists using it as a reason to kill minorities, which which is obviously a, a better concept if you don't want me to like the purges. Um, sure, but the the and one other thing is that there's a hint at a romance between uh, the, the, the protagonist Juan's friend Titi, I believe is his name, and Dylan Tucker's sister Harper, that um, oh, just right, yeah. did not go anywhere because Titi, or Titi dies in, in the alley that I mentioned earlier. And I don't know why they bothered hinting towards setting up a, a romance between those two because yeah. she didn't, a reaction to it wasn't really shown, it was never mentioned again, it didn't really go anywhere. And for me personally, I wasn't really invested in it at all because, well, it was never really a main focus, but it didn't make me care more when he died and they didn't even bother to, to come back to it. So that's th th those are some points I had, just just really, I guess, nitpicking and, and tearing it apart a little bit more. But um, those are just some things that I, I noticed on, on the way out that um, okay. sort of, okay. sort of um, stuck, stuck in the craw a little bit if I want to be, you know, pedantic about the forever sure. page which sure. you know I, I obviously do yeah fair enough okay um so um come back anyone that have, want to have spoilers um so moving on to the ratings okay so i said six to six yeah, and a half yeah. out of ten what would you be inclined to give it i i i know i just ripped into it <laughs> but i i really right. did not hate it i really didn't sure so maybe a, a four a four out of okay. ten seems seems for I feel like for me a three would right. be a little bit harsh. So maybe a four. Sure. Okay. Um, now this is obviously harsh with films that you don't particularly love. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm going to have to ask you for the man of the match. So, of the film, what of the part did you think was the, the greatest? What was the best part of this film, even if you didn't love it? I thought... I'm not going to give him man of the match, but I thought the guy... I'm not going to be specific. The guy in the back of the police van with them, with the tattoo on his face, was a really big weirdo. And the, the guy performing it, I think, was just really chewing the fat and... Right, and um, that's that's that was a little bit. He's, he's not my man of the match, but that was just um, a, a weird little a little scene. I think maybe I'd give man of the match to Ana de la Reguria. I've really butchered that name, but I, I think she was the the best character, um, competent as well, which is nice in in films like this. So I I think I'd have to I'd have to go for her. Okay, yeah, again, even with me giving it a more positive view, um, it's quite hard to choose anything that I particularly thought was, um, you know, excellent. Yeah. But I am going to go for... Hmm, it's a difficult one. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult one. I am going to give it to... Producer Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, producer Michael Bay. Uh, I'm going to give it to. Uh, I'm going to give it to Jennifer Spence, who did the production design, because I thought that throughout the film, ah, yes, of, yes, 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 that's the, that's a good choice. Like the Texas vibe, the, the yeah. kind of Southern American vibe, mixed in with a kind of neo-Nazi chic yeah, yeah. of the uh, the baddies. I but enjoyed, I think, um, yeah, the costume yeah, design the was. Was yeah, the costume design is also good yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, even though it's it's kind of weird to think that these people went out of their way to design costumes like this for a pitch, but that's more nitpicking. Sorry. <laughs> sure. <laughs> the little patches okay. they have. So that uh, that's our review of the favorite pitch. So moving on now to the Fear Street trilogy. Now, if people are unaware of what Fear Street is, there are three films uh, that have been released one week after another uh, on Netflix. Uh, all based on books by R.L. Stein, who's probably best known for his Goosebumps series. Um, but of course, this is a little bit uh, more mature, I think, than, um, yeah. than than Goosebumps is, and it's for a slightly older audience, at least the films are. Um, so each one of these films looks at a different time period. The first one is set in 1994. The second one is primarily set in 1978. The third one is primarily set in 1666. And they feature different uh, casts, but there are obviously links as going into a wider story as it explores a situation. It's a, I'd, say, I'd describe them as, as slasher films at heart, yeah. uh, whilst also dealing with occult um, vibes and, and narratives. And it follows um, this the one main character who's called uh, Dina, um, and her and a group of friends uh, dealing with um, a sudden serial killer um, who uh, kind of who was supposedly dead serial killer who comes after her and her friends um, after they have a car crash. Um, now, I will be talking about spoilers for. Fear Street 1994 and Fear Street 1978 we're openly talking about spoilers for those two because they've been released each one of the last two weeks for the third film we will do a spoiler warning um, but here's an open thing if you haven't seen Fear Street and you want to see them before we talk about them we are going to be openly talking about spoilers for the first two Fear Street films um, 
So yes, we'll start off by doing smaller mini reviews of each one of the films. Um, and then we're going to talk about our thoughts on the series uh, kind of in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so and we'll give we'll give um, ratings and amount of matches for each film and also a ratings amount of match for the series in general. So we'll start off by asking um, what you thought of Fear Street 1994. So this is the first film right. of course, set, you know, primarily around Dina and her friends. Uh, what mm-hmm. did you think of the first Fear Street film? All right, I have to. I was pretty hesitant going in because I'd I'd heard things, and um, I I actually had a recommendation from uh, a Twitter friend I have who, who said she she really enjoyed the first one. This was before the second two were out, and I was hesitant going in because I am really with horror films because it it high highs and low lows for the genre. Yeah, really. definitely, hundred percent. And, yeah, um, and and given how ambitious this concept was of a trilogy in three weeks, I was I was you know I had I was cautious, but I I really I really liked um nineteen ninety four. I I had a lot of fun with it. I feel like. Um, I, I I thought of the start was a little bit of a, a slog, you know, just introducing the characters and, and and things after the the opening my hawk scene where the uh, the 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 nineteen ninety four killer um, um, yeah uh, murders her character. If we're doing you know, open, it's not that big a yeah, spoiler. Spoilers. Open spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. Yeah, um, spoilers first two. Yeah. 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 Um, I thought after that, you know, introduced like going through the high school stuff, it seemed a little bit stereotypical, you know, friends a cheerleader, one's a kind of a dumbass, um, and she's sort of angsty. Um, but as I grew into the film, I I, I started to um to enjoy it a lot more. I I, I think they they did um they did some good things with with uh, the the times setting. You know, the, the mall stuff is very very nineties. And I and I guess my criticism of the the opening being a slog, it's it's very very much nineties movie things to do. Some of the lines are a bit on the nose, but again, it's sort of the sincere cheese of of the era. I guess if they were going for that, if if not, then that's, I suppose it's just a, a, some sloppy writing. But I I had I had some fun with it. I thought it was a it was pretty good, and I'm glad I uh, I gave it a chance. Yeah, um, yeah. The first one, nine eighty four. Um, well, I, I thought. What did I say? Uh, 84. It's not Wonder Woman, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Get a grip, Sam. Um, yeah, all, all, all <laughs> the film I made for. Yeah. Um, so, Wonder Woman... Wonder Woman. Fear Street 1994. <laughs> um, yeah, I really liked it. I, I enjoyed it. Um, now, yeah, you talk about the, the cheese. Uh, I think part of that is because of just that's how the writing is. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. But I think part of it is um, throughout... It's a recurring theme of these films is that there's an awful lot of homages to other kind of elements of the genre, you know, other mm-hmm. specific films, yeah. um, to the you know the writing of Stephen King in general. There's an awful lot of both you know directly mentioned and also kind of um, you know you know homages within the kind of narrative and such. Um, and I think that they kind of you know like the group of the, the hanging about the the town you know feels very Stephen King and feels very it uh-huh. and feels very kind of stereotypical for any kind of horror slasher genre you know yeah. like on Elm Street or whatever um i think that the strongest part of this film and you kind of alluded to it um is is the the world building the production design the the yeah. feeling is so excellently 90s 
um, it's it's wonderful being able to spend your that time in that era um, with you know the, the cinematography and the lighting being so. I think that that's actually one of the things that blew me away the most is the lighting in this film is, is excellent. In all three films, yeah. I'd say that, but especially in the first film, the lighting is excellent and really helps to create that 90s vibe mm-hmm. uh, and to really up the production standards to a film that feels properly Hollywood, despite the fact that of its streaming only you know life. It, I think it, you know, it, it appears through excellent cinematography and lighting to be as good as anything. Um, but the, the, yeah. the choice of uh, the, the jukebox soundtrack of, of, of music, um, which is also strong in, in the next film as well, um, mm-hmm. but it's, it's strong here with the 90s soundtrack and, and it sounds so good. And yeah, and it, it's, I think that, you know, that, that experience, the way they've created 1994 was very, very well done. And I think that that's one of the biggest pluses of, of this original film. And I think maybe it will be a negative of, of one of the latter ones actually, but I think that mixing that with um, you know a, a story which I say the way that it, it kind of it really mixes all the elements of horror. I think this really directly appeals to horror fans. I'd say I think I think um, this is looking out for people that are into the horror genre already yeah. because it has those. It kind of plays into all these uh, a bit like how I said the Conjuring kind of it, it mixes all the best elements of that subgenre. Well, this mixes all the different mm-hmm. subgenres because it's got the the cult stuff, the occult stuff it's got the slasher kind of chasing after them that that a lot of the film is is to do with yeah and it has the mystery side an awful lot of kind of stephen king's work so you can think about it you know that kind of thing and it also has a kind of a lot of that undead zombie uh feeling to an awful lot of the adversaries in this Mm -hmm. series uh i think that that mixture really you know in this film feels really strong um and i think that the acting especially seeing as i'd heard of essentially none of these people um, you know, I think uh, Kiana Madeira, who plays the the lead character Dina Johnson, uh, is just absolutely exceptional throughout the the, the two films that she's kind of a, a lead in. Yeah. Uh, I think you know, especially here, you know, she puts in her best work. She's really, really good. And again, I hadn't heard of her. Her girlfriend, um, who's you know, who's called Sam, who's played by Olivia Scott Welsh, also really good. And not so just the the um, acting. But the, the, the writing that, that leads um, towards the character of Josh, which is the, bro- the, the brother, the younger brother of, yeah. of Dina, one of the just most lovable, well-written, just absolutely excellent. Absolutely, what a yeah. fucking lad. What a top fucking <laughs> geezer he is. Honestly, yeah. he's excellent. But if, you, um, if you're a big horror fan, um, if you, you know, I wasn't around in the nineties, obviously, but if you want a bit of nineties nostalgia, yeah. um, if you kind of, if you yearn for, you know, that, that vibe that came, comes with, you know, memories of, you know, R.L. Stein books, or, you know, you, you're a big fan of, of those kind of, that kind of style of film from the time. I couldn't recommend Fear Street Part 1, 1994 anymore. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's, I think, um, perhaps let down by... You know, I think that perhaps uh, some of the cliches feel slightly too strong yeah. um, at, at points. I do think that it's, it's with the best in mind. It's supposed to be kind of stereotypical, but sometimes it leans in a little bit too much and perhaps some of the dialogue from the main character isn't always the best. Yeah. And yeah. I say that, that that holds it back a little bit. Uh, and also I think that there is a kind of level of, you know... Um, 
you know, poetic license that perhaps goes slightly out of the way with yeah. the kind of physics of how some people react to being hurt and some other people react to being hurt in other ways. Some of it is a little bit sketchy. You know, some people can easily get killed by being stabbed. Other people get stabbed 15 times and they're fine in the first film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, big, big plus all round for, for Fear Street 994. Uh, I would give it maybe a seven and a half out of 10, keeping in mind those sevens, seven and a half out of 10, yeah. probably six, seven. Yeah, keeping in mind those flaws. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a fun... It's, it's not a particularly thinky horror, but it was a fun mm-hmm. journey. Really fun. So I'll give it maybe seven. Yeah, I think I would go around six and a half, seven, maybe. I had a lot of fun with it, but that, that first part was a little bit of a slog. I think that was maybe before I realised, all right, I know what this is now. You know, at a point there was a, a switch maybe. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to follow up. Absolutely, Josh. Um, absolute standouts. He is some, some boy. Yeah. Some boy. What a lad. Yeah. What a lad. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Man of the Match, the first film, um, just for 1994. Uh-huh. Uh, I am going to give it to, and I don't know if there's a specific someone that was, you know, did the lighting as well, but I'm going to include that all in the cinematographer um, because I said about, you know, how, uh-huh. I could easily give it to the production design as well because of the way that the 90s are built. But I'm going to give it to the the cinematographer because of the the excellent look of the film mm-hmm. uh, for Caleb Hyman. He's my man of the match for Pit Fury Nine Ninety Four. All right. Well, um, I'll I'll balance that out then by by giving um Josh's official recognition. I'll go for Benjamin Flores Jr. I thought I thought his character was was great and he and he was great in the part. So um yeah, Josh okay. Josh man sure. of the match for me. Benjamin Flores Jr. It's good good job good job lad. Okay, uh, you started on the last one, so I'll start on this one. We're going to talk about Fear Street 1978. All right. Now, Fear Street 1978, the second part, is looking at the life of um, Ziggy Berman, um, who is around uh, in the Camp Nightwing outbreak, because all of these films are linked by... Uh-huh. The kind of overarching narrative, feel that I'm aware, is that there is a kind of recurring... Um, Every couple of years, every however many years in this this place of uh, shady side, um, serial killers just come out of nowhere. Just random people turn serial killers and just go on murdering sprees. Um, and this has happened a, f- a few times with different people, um, and it's all to do with them seeing a witch um, and then uh, going, you know, on a, on a yeah. spree. Now the first film is dealing with, um, of course, uh, Dina and her kind of girlfriend who who deal with you know, seeing the witch and being chased by the bad guys uh, and then 1978 is set within a flashback um, to the character of, of Ziggy um, who's played by, by Sadie Sink um, and it, it's about how she deals with a massacre at her summer camp um, also caused by the same witch um, mm-hmm. who's named um, what's her name again she's called oh she's got she's called Sarah Sarah Fear. Sarah Sarah Fear, that's it. Sarah Fear, of course, yeah. Fear Street. Um, spelled differently, but yeah, spelled differently, but yeah, um, yeah. So it's a different massacre in set in 1978, of course, um, to do with her summer uh-huh. camp, and also recurring characters in the first film, like a younger version of uh, the officer, officer, uh, good. officer Good. Yeah, yeah, uh, shows up as a, as a prominent character, and it kind of connects the two in the same place in the same world, which is also very Stephen King esque, I think, um, with the idea of having this kind of haunted kind of area you know the way that Salem is is, you know and mm-hmm. the other two surrounding areas are, are kind of so prominent in multiple Stephen King works the idea of this kind of this 
set of you kind of have the city map of the posh place Sunnyvale, the middle place Union, the old settlement, and then the new place of, of the shitty place of Shady Side. Uh, that that um, kind of haunted villagey haunted town that is a very Stephen King idea. Um, uh, you know, I think that carries through, and this is probably the film that directly kind of um, ties in the most and actually talks about Stephen King a few times throughout. Now, no, I don't know what you're going to say because um, mm-hmm. we haven't talked about anything past the first one together. Yeah, but I, I think um, for me, 1978 was the low point for the Fear Street trilogy, mm-hmm. um, and I, I, a lot of what attracted me to the first film in terms of, um, you know, they were saying the production design, the look in the 90s, isn't here, not because I don't have the same affiliation with the 70s, you know, I wasn't in either year, it's the fact that I think part of the setting, you know, the, the summer camp, means that you never really have to feel the nature, and a lot of that is what attracted me to the first film, and through the choice of location, that kind of gets pulled away. Yeah. Um, I think the fact that we know the ending, we know the situation. This is this this all comes out of a conversation with kind of the older version of of uh, Ziggy's character in the first one. We know that she survived this massacre. We know that you know this person went on a, went and killed people. We, so the fact that we already know the outcome, it leads it to kind of you know you, you, the stakes aren't particularly high at any point because we know the outcome from the last film uh, not having that same kind of connection to the uh-huh. characters uh, necessarily as well I think that perhaps they're not all written so well here I don't think you necessarily get the same feel that you do for the likes of Josh and, and obviously Dina and also kind of uh, her friend um, uh, Alice Mary? Alice uh, is it Alice? no who was the wait um Ziggy's, Ziggy's sister. Oh, oh, um, no, no, for the first one. Oh, uh, pff, crap. Kate, Kate, Kate. Love, love. You don't, have, you don't have the same feeling that you do yeah. for Kate and Josh in the first film in this film because you know not everyone is necessarily particularly nice to Ziggy. Now, I think that Sadie Sink as the main character, she pulls off an excellent job, and I think that you know it's a shame that we don't see her more throughout the series in general. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't see her particularly in the first or, or, or last films um, because she she's excellent here. She does show but, up in the last one. Yeah, but not for very long. Yeah, yeah, that's um, Yeah. Um, whereas that like, she got, you know, it would have been nice if she was a bigger role in the last film. Yeah. Uh, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, of course, there are some things that stay strong, whatever, you know, the feeling of, you know, the, the, the horror links are, are way more obvious here. You know, it literally, it feels very Texas Chainsaw Massacre being set in the way that it is, or, or um, Friday the 13th, you know, with a, a group of teens. On a, in a camp, you know, it's very clearly inspired there, and they specifically talk about Carrie and Salem's Lot in the film. There's uh, a reference to The Exorcist, uh, they talk about, mm-hmm. so it's obviously very, you know, cine literate. Uh, and and the, the soundtrack is excellent. There's a lot of David Bowie in there, which, you know, it's, it's always cracking, but yeah, I think that it's some of the cliche becomes too much here with, you know, I said it was a problem last night, with the kind of, there's a two different sets of kind of hippie characters. Um, both of one of which who's friends with um, who's friends with Ziggy's sister. Um, these kind of two, you know, uh, kind of more out there, kind of free spirit types. Yeah. Um, them two, and also the kind of camp camp leader, who's also kind of hippie type, a so OTT person that has never smoked weed in their life, talking about what I think a stoner is. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of hurts at points, and I, I thought some of that was really cheesy. Um, so I don't know what you thought, but 
I think that you know there's obviously elements of Fear Street that, that's kind of yeah. shine throughout, and I think that you know push this film out, and I think that the kind of the narrative uh-huh. you know, in in a vacuum is still good. But the placement of it in the series and some of the characters, characters yeah. and not having that same connection really didn't stand up to me in the same level that Night Night Four did. All right, I think this is a now showing first um, as far as my appearances go. I I think I liked this more than you did. Um, right, yeah. yeah, I think I enjoyed this more than the first one. I don't know if it's just because I I was into the series by then, so there wasn't like the. Um, the moments of realization that I had in the first one after finding the opening a bit tedious, or, or, or you know, or, or maybe it's because I generally prefer this era to the nineties. I, I, I don't know. It seemed very uh, Friday the Thirteenth to me, the first one. Yeah, the yeah. original from oh, eight, oh. eighty-three, maybe I want to say eighty-three yeah. or eighty, 80 around then, early eighties. Um, you know, set in a summer camp and th- a slasher things, and and that really appealed to me because I have a lot of love for the original Friday the Thirteenth. Um, so I, I just I, I think I enjoyed this a, a lot more. And, and you talked about not really having the same stakes because we know that she survives. I don't know if you even noticed that there was sort of an attempt to make you wonder which. Of the sisters survived. Yes, because yeah, that's true. yeah, that yeah. True. Ziggy's real name is Christine, which wasn't revealed until the end of this. But her sister is called Cindy, and all we know is that C. Berman survived. So I think right. a lot, oh, of, right. yes, a lot true, of people might have been thinking Cindy was the one that survived, and then Ziggy. I mean, I, I watched this with my fl- uh, flatmates, and you know, we we sort of worked it out. Ziggy was obviously a nickname. She's listening to David Bowie. It's obviously because Ziggy Stardust is the nickname, and she, and she has a dog yeah. in the first film called Captain Tom. So we sort of worked it out. All right, she likes David Bowie. She's called Ziggy in this one. She's the one that survived. We've sort of back and forth on that, but I appreciate the sort of attempt at least to make you not know which one survived. But I suppose if you didn't pick up on that, then it wasn't as effective as it as they might have wanted it to be. But I think generally this was scarier than the first um just as a pure horror film i think that there's there's there was more tension for me um especially when we get into the parts around sort of finding the 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 witch house and um cindy's uh, boyfriend tommy who we did see in the first film um so, uh, when he initially gets uh, possessed I thought some of that was some solid horror stuff, and I found it to be more, you know, uh, tense or, 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 or scary than anything in the first. Um, if, if it was uh, less gruesome, because there were um, the deaths of um, sorry, uh, Dina's friends in the first one. Yes. They were yeah. especially um, Kate, is her name. Her death yeah, is probably the, the most gruesome thing in the entire series, and um, which I, you know, I quite enjoyed. But um, I think it generally, in, in terms of building tension and horror, this does a, a better job. I don't remember it uh, uh, feeling particularly tense in the first one. Um, but yeah, I think I enjoyed this more. And um, I, I preferred it to the first one, which is, you know, obviously contrary to what you think. And, mm, okay. and you are wrong. Right. <laughs> I um, I'd say that I I felt more tense personally during some of the scenes in the first film. Yeah. Uh, especially when they got kind of closer and closer, I, that got me a little bit more yeah, kind yeah. of scared. Um, yeah. But all all three films, 
uh, really, you know, I talk about not being kiddie horror. You know, it is teen yeah. and it is coming of age and it is kind of romance themed. Yeah. Um, so it kind of is, it does step into that teen thing. What makes it not kiddie is how gruesome it is yeah, and yeah. how unrelenting it is and what it does to characters you wouldn't essentially yeah. assume they would do, you know, yeah, yeah. to, you know, if the film was directed towards a slightly younger audience. Um, so yeah. yeah, there's that. Okay, yeah. so what would we be thinking about of a rating then for 78? For 78, I think I would go a solid 7. Um, just, okay. yeah, just really solid. And yourself? Okay, uh, I'll be going a bit lower, probably, um, 6, you know, just about, you know, it mm-hmm. could be a little bit, I think about 6 for me, uh, yeah. on that one. Yeah. yeah. And what about a man in the match for, for 1978? I think, mm, man of the match, me, I'm torn. Between maybe Sadie Sink and maybe uh, McCabe Sly, who played Tommy, who was the the slasher, I thought he did a pretty sure. good job in not being ridiculously corny during the um, the possession. But I, I also thought Sadie Sink had some sort of on the nose uh, material to work with, and she carried it off pretty well. So I think I'll I think I'll go Sadie Sink because she carries the film really. Yep, uh, I agree. I'm going to have to say these things as well. Alright. Okay. So, that leads us up to what released this week, what released on Friday, the big one, the big Netflix releases of the week. Uh, Fear Street Part 3, 1666. Now, this is uh, after the events of the spoiler for the end of the second film, uh-huh. but at the end of the second film, uh, Dina from, from the first film, uh, who manages to uh, use the information from from uh, Ziggy's character along with her own to reunite body and bone of, um, of Sarah Fear and it transports her into the body of Sarah Fear. She takes up the personality of uh, her then and experiences the events that happened in 1666 that led up to her witchcraft and led up to, you know, all that, that situation. Yeah, um, the execution. Uh, execution and following that the film you know whilst you get past that bit the film turns into fear street uh, 1994 part two where we look at y- using the events that they learn and what they know uh, how they tackle dealing with the um kind of wider threat in the yeah, modern the day so we will do spoilers section but if we can kind of start off by not going into too many specifics because people uh-huh. might not have seen 1666 yet. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on Fear Street 1666? Right. I, going into this, even though I enjoyed the first two, I had the least faith in this one, um, mainly because of the 1666 setting, which I, 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 you know, going into it, I didn't know it would also... Cut back to 1994. I guess I should have assumed, but I didn't realize sure. how much of the yeah. film would be in 1994. I don't particularly care for period films um, at all, really. So I was just pretty nervous on on you know whether or not that that setting would uh, sort of hold it back and make it a bit boring. Um, but I I think this was my favorite. I think that I think the trilogy actually gets better with each film for me. Um, if if I had one standout criticism for the sixteen sixty six part, it's that all the characters do sort of Irish accents, and and yeah. some carry it off better than others, is yeah. what I will say. So just to make sure if anyone is unaware, 
that perhaps has seen the first two and hasn't seen the third one yet. Um, and you find that within the first two minutes of the film. But not. But when in her in a kind of um, Wizard of Oz style way, um, when uh, Dina transfers back in time and she takes up the body of Seraphir, um, she sees the majority of the townspeople in 1966 as characters from the modern day. Like she sees, um, yeah, a brother, she sees and her friends, Hannah, Hannah Miller as uh, as her new girlfriend Sam, mm-hmm. and she sees yeah her brother as her real life brother Josh. And you know, and characters from both films, uh, both yeah. the 1994 and 1978, both show up. Um, uh-huh. Because Sadie Sink, you know, she plays um, Constance and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, uh-huh. so yeah, and they all do Irish accents, yeah. and a lot of them aren't very good. Yeah, it didn't that that, that didn't particularly ruin it for me, but you, you definitely feel it. Um, I feel like if I was Irish, it would probably be a lot worse. Yeah, um, same with that Paul Waterhouse's uh, accent in Corella yeah. gets a mention for me on this every week. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I had a a lot of a lot of fun with this. I actually found myself enjoying the the uh, period setting quite a bit before they cut back, um, I, which which I was quite I was really pleasantly surprised by. I I feel like it was really well done. The production design again gets a shout uh, a shout out to costume design as well. It all looks really good. Um, I've seen the Daniel Day-Lewis Winona Ryder version of The Crucible, and it felt a lot like that. That's about the Salem Witch Trials. Um, there was a lot of that vibe for me, if anyone has seen that, uh, which it's, it's not a, like one of my favourite films ever. It was decent, but um, that was the, the vibe I got from, from the setting and, and things anyway. But yeah, I, I had a good time with it. How did you, how did you find it, Mr. Houston? Uh, it's Pat Houston, actually. Houston? Um, Sorry. Yes. Um, so when I started up Physics Six 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 again, um, you know, I I'm not I wouldn't say that I don't like period dramas because you know or period films because there's you know so many out there. But I would say that I'm less affiliated with the yeah. the, the thing. And also for me, you know, a lot of what I loved, especially from '94, and some of the feels feelings I love from '78 as well, were about the feeling of the time. And of course, this is all the David Bowie music in '78. You know, that was great. Um, you know, and, and you know the buzzcocks and stuff. Uh, I felt like CC6. Yeah. You know, what am I? Am I going? How am I going to feel about it? And I kind of felt fifty minutes into the film, twenty minutes into the film. I was thinking, I didn't really like the last film. If this is, if this doesn't start sorting itself out, I'm not going to like the trilogy in general. Um, I'm not going to have a very positive thing to say. But man, oh man, this blew me away. I really, really loved Fear Street 666. I really loved it. I thought that it did so many plot twists that I wasn't prepared for. I thought it was, you know, ingenious. I think that a lot of the, you know, the best writing in the series comes here. I think a lot of what made uh, 1994 so good comes back later on when they return to that setting. The acting absolutely takes a massive step up. Of course, the, the accents aren't great, but the emotions that Kiana Madera has to deal with as the main character, as well as her brother um, and Olivia Scott Welsh's Sam. You know, a lot of those, you know, seeing the culmination of all the little tiny things that you just don't think about. Yeah. You know, there are, there are loads of questions about, like, how come this character did this? And you just think, oh, that's a stupid, stupid decision, or, oh, God, because of film. And then now it explains it, and you think, oh, that's why. And that's why this happens. And this tiny little character in this, or this one line, or this scene from the first film that didn't seem to matter, oh, that makes sense. It, throughout the film, from the yeah. from the second, you know, from the first to the last minute, there are loads of little things that make you go, "Wow! Oh, really? Oh, yeah, him!" Over and over, 
you know, it genuinely provided me with a great twist. It was so satisfying. You know, when you've got, you know, the, the any series, you know, whether it's two episodes long or yeah. two ten, ten series long or five films long or 12 films long, having a sat- ending that truly satisfies you and yeah. leaves you feeling complete, that is such a challenge. Um, Extremely. And it, and it does it so well. You know, it really, really, you don't want, I don't want to see, I don't feel the need to see any more of these, this particular story. Yeah. I don't feel like I didn't get enough. Everything got sorted out. It didn't, it wasn't just fan service in the way that it didn't just do everything I wanted with every character. Um, it was, you know, it was hard, heartbreaking. I think it was some of the most tense I felt during any of the ones of the films, especially the, the earlier parts in the, in the 66, even though it wasn't necessarily in the same kind of, it wasn't dealing with the same kind of horror. I think the way that the characters were treated that made it particularly tense. And yeah, I think that, that you know, a lot of the, the definitely Keanu Madeira's best performance out of the three films. Um, some of the best directing, Lee, Lee Janiak really needs to, you know, you know, deserves all the praise here from directing two, essentially two different films within the same runtime. Uh, the 66 section is so far removed from the latter section, from the 90s section. Um, Okay, a little bit. Some of it's a little bit gaudy. Some of it's a little bit over the top. Whatever, but again, always cine literate, always well shot, wonderful, really, really good. And I think this film justifies watching all three of them, even if you didn't enjoy the first two, even if you sat through the first two and didn't like them. I, I would say give the third one a go because it wraps up so many things so well, and it makes a lot of the decisions in the first two films seem better in retrospect. Uh, the perfect ending to the trilogy, and I think you know this has jumped up Fear Street ten times over. You know, if this film was even as good as the first one, it would be a decent trilogy. But because I think this is a big step up for me, uh, you know, even past that, for me, yeah, I'm really positively surprised, and I think it's yeah, it's probably one of the better horror films I've seen that's come out this year. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you you, uh, you you summed up all the a lot of points quite eloquently there. Uh, as far as we can go into them without being spoilery um sure absolutely extremely satisfying ending to uh to the trilogy that just capped off pretty much everything that that every question you could have asked um you know Mm -hmm. the ones that matter anyway (laughs) um you just um all get answered and in a satisfying way that all makes sense as well um which is quite the feat really um so incredibly impressed by this film um and uh, the 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 smash cuts sort of from 1666 back to 1994 it wasn't jarring either it didn't break no. the flow of the film at all no it all no. flowed perfectly because well because you were just you were still on the yeah. adrenaline rush of the information you just received yeah 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 so you couldn't wait to get back to 1994 yeah yeah it it, it flows perfectly despite that big jump in time um yeah i yeah uh, High praise for this film um, and and the trilogy in general, but um, yeah, yeah, just just really really good. <laughs> yeah, this for me elevates it. Just, just you know, very, very, said, very without good. this film, I think of Fear Street in a very different way. Yeah, but yeah, it, it makes the first two films better by you know by the way that it, it deals with those characters, and yeah, I, I'm really 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 big fan. Uh-huh. Um, so should we? I think we should do. Um, our ratings first before mm-hmm. we do spoilers, and then we'll do spoilers, and then our general thoughts on the series after. Yeah. Okay. Okay, because we're because we're gonna do ratings of the series in general, and also our man and match for the series in general. Yeah. But who would you say? Uh, so, what would you say is your rating for Fear Street 1666? I 
was thinking seven and a half to eight, but thinking about it, I think definitely an eight, if not eight and a half. Um, yeah, I exactly yeah. agree. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree. Yeah, eight, maybe eight and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what about man of the match? Man of the match, I would have to. Mm, um, I think Kiana Madeira is hard to overlook because she carries. Well, she carries the, tr- the 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 trilogy overall. I'd say, obviously, not the second film, but the way she a performance in in the the sixteen sixty six era and back in the nineteen ninety four era, especially for the sixteen sixty six era, I think she handled it really well, playing a different character. Really, you know, the only it was the same person by look only in a in that setting. So, I think Keanu Madera is hard to overlook for this one. Yeah. Um... For me, I'm going for because of the difficulty of those two eras, yeah. um, and you know the way that it's so seamless and it's you know it has to deal with a different narrative format in both of them. The way that it's, it's, it's constructed, I think, it was a monumental task, and it's done so well. So I'm going to give it to the director, uh, Lee Janiak. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think she's directed anything of note. Uh, when it comes no, to, no, no. I think she's done a lot of TV work. Yeah, um, she has one other film. Yes, one other film, which is 2014's Honeymoon. I haven't seen. Um, so yeah, so you know, for someone that isn't particularly well versed with, um, you know, feature film, only made one film before to come out here was with a very, very well directed trilogy. Very impressive. So I'm giving it to her. Okay, so now we are going to talk about spoilers for Fear Street 1666. So I will uh, make sure that I leave a a bit of a time thing because I always say that and I always forget but this one <laughs> is important so I will leave a time thing in the description uh, if you want to skip part of that just look in the description you'll see what time we'll stop talking about spoilers um, but Fear Street 66 uh, we're starting to talk about spoilers now and I'll say that you know I I, I think the way that the twist was done the big twist in this yeah. which is um, about the, the good family yeah, uh, and Solomon's involvement and in that he's you know he's the big bad yeah, completely caught me off, yeah. know, off guard. I, I really yeah. wasn't prepared for it. No, I I was exactly the same. I really liked his character up until then because he was obviously he was the only one who really wasn't ever nice to to Sarah properly, and he, he believed her when she came to him about the cares. Which obviously now we know he believed yeah, her because he was yeah he was the one doing it. Yeah. But they absolutely really suckered me in and got me to really like him, which made it quite upsetting when when you find out the truth. Um, but I suppose that's yeah. just the mark of a, of a good twist it, it's one you don't see coming and for this case I guess it, it's even better that you don't want it to happen because I, I particularly liked him he was my favourite character I think up until that point in terms of just likability I don't know if you felt the same yeah yeah definitely I think that that's obviously like the way they're trying to get you yeah, know, yeah, how yeah. you to feel about him and the way it's done it's convincing it's, it's, it's good it's strong um, I think that like um as well with the kind of implications that it had on the um, kind of wide narrative with, you know, the uh, kind of officer Nick Good. Yeah. You know, I didn't necessarily make that connection of like, oh, yeah, that, he'll be in on it at first. So when the, when um, De- Deanna wakes yeah. up and, 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 then she's, and then Josh meets um, Nick and then I was like, I didn't really think much of it. And then she started running around. I was like, oh, yeah, obviously he's in on it. I was like, oh, that makes sense. That, the whole series now yeah. makes sense. All of the stuff in 78, it was all him. You yeah. know, like, it was, you know, it's like, that, that, like, 
that as I said, that's what I said about how the film feels retrospectively. The first two feel better because yeah. it, the bigger example for me was how um, Ziggy comes back to life. Yeah, you know, and he he just kind of gives a CPR, and I remember when I was. I was sitting yeah, there watching you, the sofa yeah, like, How has she went, survived this? this I went, oh, just... for fuck's sake. Yeah. I was, I was like, that, that was my actual was like, Oh, for fuck's sake. Jesus Christ, man. That's so fucking bad. Like, so clear. Like, that's bollocks. Yeah. And then, and then you, you see, oh, it's because he can get any power he wants because he just let Tommy, yeah. you know, he just unleashed Tommy upon the world. Mm-hmm. That was a real, again, that, that, I was like, oh, okay, so my anger was yeah. not justified. Um, yeah, it, it definitely made the second film a lot better in retrospect when you realise um, Nick spends a lot of time with Ziggy and then you, you find out that he was behind it. It um it just it it enhances that 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 film a lot. I think in retrospect, I liked it a lot at the time anyway. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If I could, if I was gonna nitpick one thing, it'd be that when they show the sort of um compilation of all the goods throughout the generations, getting the the book and learning about the curse and, and doing it, every one of them is older or like middle aged when when they seem to get it whereas he was a teenager which i just I, I thought was a little bit weird i'm like why has he got it when he's a teenager it doesn't really matter or affect the story god but... damn that is a nitpick yeah, yeah. <laughs> i just i noticed wow. at the time i was like why would did he tell them when they're that young like or, fair enough but it it didn't ruin anything <laughs> for me it was just something i noticed which i thought was quite quite weird it, it's not it's not a mark against the film at all yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, I made... guess <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm here but... for, Sam. This is what <laughs> you is... get me for. <laughs> Pleasure. Pleasure. It um, just it just popped out. It, I'm not. Yeah, I'm no. not. You know, attacking it. But yeah, I, I think the the way that it threw in the um, character of oh, I forgot the guy's name from the from the first Martin. Film. Uh, Martin, yeah, like the way that he threw him in, I was like, oh, that justifies him because it was like a weird little kind of side character that you never saw. And I was like, oh, why, yeah. is he, why is he around? And then all of his every scene he was in basically made sense. Yeah. stuff with the cans, him being in prison, all that stuff. The way that the, the good treated him, that all made sense now. And then the the best thing, and it's such a small thing, it's so easy, and I'm such a sucker for for enjoying it so much. But just the the plan about getting all of the. Um, the like the shop fronts down and then it getting stuck um from the first film yeah you know, the first film the first scene she can't pull the thing down and then that coming up again i was just like i was like point like leonardo dicaprio you know pointing at the screen, i was like hey i know that i was like that's so sick like just tying it all in i'm easily pleased just the detail yeah just yeah just the the, the it feels like the first two films were just setting up just unbelievable f- finale. Yeah. And all of the, like, half of the scenes in the first film just are just there to give a reason for the events that happen here. And it just means that, you know, this film wouldn't probably be that good in isolation, but it's not supposed to be seen in isolation. Yeah. You know, it's supposed to be at the end of it. This is very clearly part three. Um, you know, this film, you know, wouldn't be enjoyable otherwise. Um, and it, it really, well, he really, you know, absolutely hit out of the park there, I think. Yeah. So... Were you completely satisfied with the ending? You said about earlier that you said you we can watch this, wait for spoilers, but you, you think that the ending went exactly the way that you wanted. You think the well, not the way that you wanted, but in a way that satisfied you completely. Um, I, I I think just with the amount of loose ends that got tied up, there was there was um some some job on their hands. I I, I was felt completely satisfied. Obviously, the, I, this is maybe skipping ahead a little bit. If you're going to d- discuss um some more things, the um. The book at the end gets restolen, 
from the crime yes. scene. So obviously they're, they're setting up just in, in the event that these films are popular, which I assume they have been for, for Netflix, that they'll do more, whether that's with, mm. uh, what was it, Dina? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether that's with her and, and her brother and stuff, um, or different characters, who, who knows. Um, but, but yeah, I, I feel like I had something I want to say earlier, but I forgot what it was. So I'll let you know if I come back. But is there anything you would like to um, to discuss about the, the ending and, and how that went and stuff? I feel like it was all reasonable. Um, Seraphia sort of put to rest and and, and, and things like mm. that. The, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure. Um, that was very because um, I said to what Stephen Kingy it felt yeah. the kind of big gelatinous blob that exists felt very it yeah, yeah you know yeah. what I mean like you know and it it because I, I I I I'm assuming you've seen both it films yeah the the recent yeah. ones yeah yeah and I I um I actually liked it chapter two a lot more than most people did I actually really liked that film yeah um, I quite liked it but I obviously as everyone does and you know the problem stems back to the book obviously the ending is very you know rushed you know the ending doesn't yeah. give you the satisfying ending that you want yeah and i kind of almost felt like with the way it was written it i did feel you know and it's the gang and they're together and and the way that it's written and, and the kind of love interest situation and yeah if you know i could very much felt a very much a strong it connection mm-hmm. in in this film i felt like that 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 was kind of the thing i'd drawn those comparison to and the big digital kind of scary alien blob yeah but the way that it was given, the way that the situation was, was, was like the ending was written, I felt like this is what Stephen King wanted to do, you know, yeah. dealing with the, the big bad and how it's written out and how it's given a, a satisfying conclusion and how he sets up the parameters for which the ending to, ha- to happen. Yeah. And it kind of makes you go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And just lovely little touches. I think that, like, yeah, this is the ending that Stephen King wished he could write, basically. Yeah. Um, not that I can compare R.L. Stein and Goosebumps books to, you know, arguably the yeah. best horror writer ever. But, you know, not exactly like he's someone known for his endings, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I just think that, the, you know, like the, the, you know, that there was very much room for this to be very over the unnecessary sci-fi ending or unnecessarily uh-huh. kind of just bullshit. And the way that they handle that stuff with kind of maturity and, and in a very kind of good way, in a strong way, yeah, I, I was really, yeah. you know, I was, I'm really happy that I didn't, you know, I was, I was, I was set up for a fall. I was kind of prepared for it to be a little bit shit, but it, it yeah. and then a lot of the kind of this, the all both the first film and the the third film, the kind of two, both the first film and the two films that are in the third film are very um, yeah. kind of LGBT focused. They're kind of both about lesbian relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, it, 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 essentially, it was just nice to see it all work out okay, the yeah. relationship, really. Yeah. It was just not, it was a nice touch to end with them all happy in the end. And mm-hmm. After all the shit they went through, and, and of course, all, you know, the, the, you know, her relationship actually being the kind of the main reason why, yeah. you know, one of the main reasons why Sarah Fear was killed. You know, it was kind of nice to see that it kind of all works out well in the end. Okay, Sarah Fear was, yeah. Sarah, Sarah was killed, but... You know, they all, they all, you know, the relationship, because this obviously is very much a, got a coming of age vibe, a romantic vibe. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to see it all work out. Yeah, uh, I, um, if I could just say some things, some of, some of the things I appreciate about it, I really enjoyed the, the twist that Seraphie wasn't actually the the bad. Um, yeah. yeah I, thought, I, I thought that was nice. I mean, it was obviously a, 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 a twist that the, that the film needed, if it was just, you know, oh, that is the witch. Yeah, she made a deal with the devil or whatever. Um, yeah, that was that was quite nice. It's them, uh, them old white guys up to it again. The, you know, 
the worst of all <laughs> the, the the races and genders. But um, the uh, I also would like to to give a shout out to the the church scene with the kids when um, yeah yeah that was the the probably the grimmest point in the entire trilogy, but it was also excellent and it looked great and it was really creepy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I would like to just like to point out that in terms of a pure horror moment was um really yeah. good, really yeah. excellent. And um I had something else I wanted to say and it's god no no The podcast basically essentially involves me trying to remember things <laughs> I thought in the last few days. So yeah. I understand your thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that it's with three films which are kind of structured quite similarly, it is very impressive that it managed to keep up the tension and the horror so well. Mm-hmm. But it, it it changes just enough and it keeps it just enough exciting and the usage of music as well is excellent. Yeah. So it does manage to keep up that, that constant thriller yeah. feel and yeah. that constant uh, tension. So that was really strong. Do you have a last thought before we kind of uh, wrap up thoughts on the series? I'm, I'm going to do what I think everyone likes to do and end on some negatives. Um, <laughs> no, just minor minor things. I didn't, in in the third one in particular, I did not enjoy Gillian Jacobs' performance. Uh, who plays the grown-up C. Berman. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, really? yeah. I, th- I just thought... I don't know. The vibe that she was giving off, it was... It just... It stuck out to me in a weird way. I can't really describe it, but it was like... You're... I don't know if she was phoning it in. That might be a bit harsh, but... I, I just didn't feel like it was her best work. And I, I really like Gillian Jacobs. She's in a community, which I, I think is, is, is great. But, um... I didn't really like that. And the the last one's not really a, a proper negative. It was just that I wish it didn't end on an Oasis song. <laughs> do, you not, do you not like Oasis? I'd, uh, I, I used to be a big Oasis fan, but I'm now quite embarrassed about that part of my life. I'm glad that, if any Oasis song, it was the best Oasis song, which is Live Forever. So it's like solace in that, at least. Obviously, everyone that has an actual brain knows that Half Thought Away is the best Oasis song. Right, um, Sam is wrong again. Uh, <laughs> I didn't notice that. Theme. I was like, oh, that's a weird... I thought, with well, all this, it is a bit weird at the end of Oasis song. I didn't feel it fit with the rest of the vibe. But, yeah, you know, I mean, the album is... definitely maybe came out in 94, so I guess it... No, yeah, yeah, I guess. But it doesn't really fit with the the, the vibe yeah, of the, yeah, yeah. the music that's been playing. But I'm an Oasis fan. So. Just well, the, I can't, I'm not going to call myself an Oasis fan, but I don't mind Oasis. <laughs> you um, weekend offender. Yeah. <laughs> um, more of a blur guy myself actually. yeah no same same that's because uh, the south, south obviously you know it's kind of greater than the it's north because you know. Damon Albarn was very handsome and I liked that he <laughs> <laughs> also a twat too fair but, well um, Gorillas are good as well yeah Gorillas <laughs> so. are good it's now playing it's the music podcast um, so um, yeah so Kind of coming out of spoilers, um, and, and kind of just saying, um, about the kind of series and whole, um, yeah, I guess, is there any like kind of lasting opinions of the whole trilogy? Is there anything that you kind of say to kind of sum up your thoughts on it as, as a three parter rather than just yeah. specific films? I think that for such an ambitious idea, three films released in three weeks, film back to back, it was pulled off about as well as anyone could could pull it off and yeah i don't know if this will start a, a trend especially within streaming services but if it does i doubt any of them um that come after this will reach the heights that this did and i i, I just think it's a really solid 
horror trilogy um, for the modern day. And uh, I think it'll have some lasting effects. I feel like in, in years to come, this will be something that's fondly remembered by quite a lot of people. Um, yeah, no, I, I'd agree. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely I think, agree. Yeah, I think it'll age quite well. Yeah, um, I'll say that I think the decision, which is very original to do, as as like you said, yeah. pulled off really well because the films are again so kind of such an homage to an homage, sorry, yeah. to the um, to the horror genre and classic horror and the genre, uh, you know, and it feels so cinematic. It would yeah. feel wrong to release it as a series. These films are so just innately cinematic, and then at the end of the day, like the films are so directly connected they are so clearly part one part two part three mm-hmm. that i don't think having them as kind of traditional you know one film a year yeah. or one film you know thing. so the, the kind of decision to, to go that halfway of releasing loads of films close rather than a series mm-hmm. or rather than you know releasing them in traditional sense that pulled off so well i think that was that was the best decision yeah. i can see it happening more often now yeah. um releasing multiple films together because i think that it, it really would have massively hurt the series either way you know releasing it in either format otherwise i think it's mm-hmm. just the perfect medium so yeah, yeah big big fan of the system i think that you know you said um it will hold up well um you know a couple little nitpicks about certain characters here and there generally excellent acting i think this is mm-hmm. probably the big break for for kiana madeira i know she's now got roles in two of the after sequels you know the after so she's in she's in after we fell and after uh, ever happy the greatest um, film title of all time <laughs> never be um, but i can see her getting a lot of big roles in here because she she's the main character and she does yeah. that so well yeah, and deserved um, deservedly as well mm-hmm. uh and yeah so you, you can't yeah excellently acted um you know it it, the, it sums up each uh, genre each kind of decade so well uh, it's a beautiful love letter to the genre um and yeah yeah i'm a i was a yeah. very very much impressed and i think the the, the the third film really really wouldn't say saved it because i like the first thing but really made me realize yeah. how much i like the series in general and moving on to a general rating yeah. for the three films uh what would you go for uh Overall, the trilogy, I think, is a solid eight, at least, I think. Um, I think if you were to have some friends over and, and just binge them all, I think it'd be a really good and fun night. Um, so, and, and also, they're just the, the three solid films, I think it gets better as it goes. Eight, maybe maybe I'm being a bit harsh. As, as, a, as a complete trilogy, it's really satisfying, so maybe a nine. Maybe. Oh, fair enough. Okay, yes, that's higher than I thought you could say. Yeah, I'll... I uh, I think I maybe things I do think the second one is a bit of a drag and it kind of you know it was mm-hmm. a little bit of a challenge to get through, but just because of how well it, it wraps up and how you know um, satisfied I feel I oh, think God. I'm gonna go for an eight I'm gonna go for an eight David so. Bowie, come on yeah that was that is the the big part <laughs> of that film is the, yeah. the Bowie songs uh, but yeah I'm gonna go for an eight overall yeah, um, yeah. so uh, the... man of the match for the whole trilogy. Uh, 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 do you want me to go first? I sure. All right. I think for the whole trilogy, my man of the match would be Lee Janiak, the director who also wrote all three of them. I think she did a tremendous job on each film, and bringing it all together was 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 some feat. But she's done it incredibly well. So fair play. Um, great, great work from her. Sure. Um, one of the best things I I felt the first one I already gave them man of the match. The first film. 
the way that all three films look is so well done. It looks so cinematic. You could stand up with any cinema film. This is another example that, that streaming films should not be seen in a different light to films that are, get traditional theatrical releases because these days there's no difference. Um, and, and so thanks to that, the, the, the lighting, cinematography and beautiful colour grade uh, um, that, that evolved, I'm giving it to the main cinematographer, Caleb Hyman. Um, or Heyman, sorry. Caleb Heyman. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he gets yeah. my man in the match award. So, um, yeah, uh, thumbs up all around for Loki. Um, some kind of mediocre to, to positive thoughts on the Forever Purge and some overwhelmingly positive thoughts on the Fear Street trilogy, even though you mm-hmm. might disagree on individual installments, especially the second one. Uh, we can very much um, applaud the series in general. Yeah. Um, so that wraps up this week. Um of course, uh, I will be trying to see the new escape room. I've said talk about the train spotting um, and stuff, but um, I will not be appearing on this week's podcast. The next one's going to come out. I'm taking a little break. We're going to do loads of stuff at home, um, so that will be done by JL and Lewis. Um, so they'll be that will be coming out uh, at some point later this week, um, and they'll be talking about Space Jam and I think maybe Escape Room. Um, so yeah, we can hang out, hang in for that. Um, but big thanks to to my, uh, my my good friend and horror correspondent Brandon for uh, for coming on again. Pleasure um, as always. We so. always need you whenever uh, whenever Lewis is too scared. Yeah, to yeah. Well, Lew- I remember distinctly Lewis saying, "I can handle R.L. Stein horror." When I asked initially about these films, but then I was called upon. So, shout yeah, to, he, shout he, out he, to you, Lewis. He said they were look scarier than he originally thought, so he kind of backed out the concept. Uh, the correct decision. Uh, um, yeah, that's for him, for him, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, someone, yeah, he, yeah, he, he is, he's described he's, being scared a lot, a lot less scary films. Yeah. So, fair enough. But they are excellent, and if you kind of get over that, you should watch them, Lewis, because they're very good. Um, <laughs> if you've listened, so yeah, um, where we can we find you on Twitter? You've got a new at. I got suspended since my last appearance on the No Show and Podcast, so I was I'm... just going to frame it as you changing your ad. You. I was trying to avoid that. No, I got suspended. I, wrongfully, I got thrown in the Twitter slammer, and I'm not coming back this time. Um, well, my old account, anyway, is not coming back. But I have a new account. It's at very hateful guy. Um, with my general demeanor, in a, in, 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 if my general demeanor on these podcasts uh, probably isn't the, the the biggest surprise. But you can also find me at Brandon Bitter on Letterboxd and leave a five star review on iTunes if you want me to replace Lewis permanently. <laughs> that's what we'll take all five star reviews if that's what people want um, yeah uh, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Sam H Media and on this box at Sam Houston uh, you can follow the podcast at Now Showing Pod uh, once again we're calling uh, if you've made it this far uh, we're calling on our South African listeners to come forward and either email us or message us on Twitter or something because we want to know how you found us and what's, what's, what's it like down in South Africa um so yeah, get on that. Uh, if you want to come to the podcast directly, you can do so at nowshowingpod at gmail.com. Uh, give us a five-star review on iTunes, as Brandon just alluded to. That's the best way to get us up in the rankings and the best way to get us bigger and pop- hopefully more popular in uh, other um, nations around the world and, and around Africa. Um, 
We are proud to be members of the Music City Driving Network. Uh, you can find them on their website, which hosts podcasts such as our own, but also hosts podcasts such as Film Optics or the Music City Driving Podcast, or if you like music, there's 50 Years of Music, or American Football, there's a Fancy Football Roundtable, and there's a whole lot more, and there's articles about all new films and, and sports. Um, big big shout-out to the website, and you can find them on Twitter at mcdipod. Uh, we are thankful for all our listeners and we will be happy to see you next time. Big thank you and goodbye. Bye.